Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. Today, I am so excited for you to meet my guest, Ann Latham. We are talking about the power of clarity. Yes. So if you're in the consumer product space, you're in the retail space, you know that's where we spend most of our days. And we're still going to hit on that today. But I will tell you, we're going to take an even bigger picture view across industries and think about the power of clarity and like how important it is as a leader and as a team member in an organization, large or small. And I can't even wait for the conversation today. It is truly a leadership conversation. And um, I can't wait for you to meet Anne. So Anne, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here, Justin. I am so glad you're here. Um, we met through Robbie Coleman Baxter. So for those that know Robbie, she's been on the podcast twice. And there's just nothing like a good referral from someone that's been on. I mean, she sent me a note and I think I responded within three minutes saying, when can we book? And um, and so I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, I've had so much fun getting to know you um, kind of electronically, I guess you could say, learning about your background, your bio, reading your book, which we're going to talk about. Um, and so let's do this first before we get to your your book, The Power of Clarity. Um, talk about you, um, your story, and what you were doing before kind of getting into this whole space. All right. Well, I, I was after actually a bunch of random jobs because I didn't really want a serious job. I didn't really want to grow up. I became a software engineer. And I, you know, worked my way up through product development management and and into the ranks of software development and really uh, wanted to solve bigger problems than just dealing with a couple of products. And I got caught up in really large products, starting with the whole Y2K disaster. (laughs) (laughs) I remember. I was in consulting then. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I... um, (laughs) Yeah, so that got me into uh, solving problems cross-functional, cross-divisional, that they really, the company I was working for didn't have anyone else they could hand these messes to. <laughs> so nice. I, it was a great opportunity for me, and I went from there uh, to working for a subsidiary of a subsidiary of a country company I worked for, and they were doing laser additive manufacturing, building airplane parts by melting titanium powder. Wow. And that was really cool because it meant I got in there and I got to get involved in every aspect of their business and found that I could add value whether I was helping them sort out their financials or helping them get their AS9100 certification, which <laughs> nice. is like ISO on steroids, or <laughs> even it. help them improve their technical processes by asking the right questions and you know helping them figure out exactly what they were seeing. I mean, these were these guys were wizards in the area of melting titanium powder, but I filled in a lot of the pieces around them and it was a fabulous experience. I love. So after that, that I, I decided that. to become an independent consultant. I love that. And what you guys are all going to find from Anne is she like has this magical mix of art and science, like in her background, she's undergrad in mathematics from Tufts University. And then, you know, you, you heard some of the engineering-esque experience, technology-esque experience, and now you're going to hear 
about how she's applying that and bringing some of the art into how people operate and think. And I just I think it's so cool that you've been able to blend those things together. So you decided to start your own business, what, 17 years ago, 17, 18 years ago. Yeah. So talk about what that business was and how you decided to launch your own business. Yeah, well, I read a book uh, called Getting Started in Consulting so I can figure out how to do it. I, it was <laughs> nice. a great book. 101. <laughs> it was, you know, high, and, and you're really, consulting is, being a consultant is really about marketing and selling. And it's it's like the consulting is just a piece of it, really. And that was foreign to me. But the books terrified me. There were so many things in there I was not ready to do. But I, it was a, it's a well-written book by Alan Weiss. And I said, okay, if I do this step by step, I can do it. Wow. And so, but before I left my corporate job, I, I asked all these different people I'd worked with, whether it was former bosses or peers or direct reports, um, just various colleagues. I said, what is it that I do exceptionally well that is most uncommon? And it was a fabulous question. And what wow, they came that's back That's a great with, question. Hold on. Let's repeat yeah. that again. So say that one more time for us. What is it that I do extremely well that is most uncommon? I love that. Okay. And and the answers I got were, well, you take in large quantities of information and somehow cut to the chase and figure out what is the core. Or, you know, you take complicated um, complex, complicated discussions and, and problems and you you find the kernel, you find the common ground, you find the essence, and then you move it forward one step at a time. And so these the answers were wonderful. And I decided to name my business Uncommon Clarity as a result. And the um, the URL was available. So that <laughs> amazing sealed the deal. <laughs> okay, so you, you decided to get into consulting. And by the way, remember, we have a ton of entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. This is a cool part of your story, even before we get to your book. Um, so did you how did you decide where to focus from a services perspective in consulting? Like, you know, consulting could be a lot of things, right? How did you decide what was going to be your thing? Right. Well, this is a pretty interesting story because my focus was going to be operational excellence kind of thing because that's what I've been like exposed process, to. Process, methodology, structure. Yeah. yeah. I got it. Yeah. And and I really, I, I'm into efficiency and getting things done right and getting them done well. And um, so that was going to be my focus. And I started out getting out there and networking and trying to do all these things I thought I was supposed to do, which I hated because I'm a Swedish introverted engineering type of person who doesn't like to network. In consulting. Got it. Okay. (laughs) Right. Well, furthermore, to make it difficult, I moved halfway across the country because I I left Minnesota and, and moved to Massachusetts because it would have been really you know, an unfair advantage to have a network to start with. Right, (laughs) of course. (laughs) (laughs) So here I landed in a a relatively small town in Western Massachusetts in in the Connecticut River Valley, though. So there was business around and not that far from Boston. And I I get out there and start meeting people and, and trying to figure out how you do this. How do you, how do you get connected? And I hated it. I mean, I, I was outside my comfort zone 99% of the time that first year. It's interesting. (laughs) And I'll just build on that. Um, I spent a number of years in consulting um, different firms and you're right. There are people that are really good at the business development, the relationship building, the kind of the tip of the spear, the Hey, let me get to know you and share with you what we do. And then there's some that are just really good at like delivery, like operations, the technology, the the services part of things, and that's the yeah, the selling isn't their thing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, networking wasn't my thing. But then I, I, you know, I figured out I need to do public speaking and I need to volunteer, and so I, um, 
I, I did get my first clients through networking, and but I did a lot of volunteering for nonprofits. And one of the biggest breakthroughs was when one of these, I was on a committee at uh, a, a nonprofit and they asked me to, well, you must do, you must be, you'd be really good at strategic planning. You must do that, right? And I said, sure. Sure, <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> and actually what I had discovered already by then was that a lot of these organizations, you can't improve their operations if they aren't clear about what they are trying to accomplish as an organization as a whole. So it, I was delighted that this or, this nonprofit asked me that question because it opened the door to what I knew I needed to be doing for these companies. You really can't help them become more efficient when they're so scattered in their approach and what and where they're going. Wow. No so doubt. I started doing strategic planning too. No, I love that. And I can see where this is going. I, I'm still hung up on that first question. You know, what is it? I, I think it's so interesting that you were asked that to, to what, what is it that you really, you know, that you do that's uncommon. I think that's pretty cool. Um, and, and so here you are, uh, you've launched your firm, uh, you found somewhat your niche, you figured out kind of how to make it work. Um, and you, you discover the power of clarity in organizations as part of strategic planning and, and strategic process thinking. And, as I was looking through your materials, now getting to um, your book, and for those that don't know, um, Anne's the author of The Power of Clarity, Unleash the True Potential of Workplace Productivity, Confidence, and Empowerment. Um, and if I asked all of you to you know, think of a time when you were unclear on organizational vision, uh, mission, objectives, measures, role... Um, I think most people at some point it would raise their hand, right? As if we were all in a room together. And so how did this all come together for you as something that was worth tackling? Right. Well, initially I, I brought my clarity, my uncommon clarity, you know, the name of my company and brought that to my projects. And it didn't matter whether it was uh, strategic planning or helping teams be more effective or improving, improving processes uh, it was, it, it, I, I was really broad and <laughs> everyone will advise against that, but I did it. And I ended up with clients in over 40 industries, ranging from big companies like Boeing and Hitachi and Medtronic down to the local chamber of commerce. And wow. in between, I worked with a lot of nonprofits like public broadcasting and Smith college and other universities and United way. And so, you know, it was really broad, but in all of those cases with really diverse projects, I was bringing my clarity to the picture, but all along I'm writing about clarity and I, and I started learning what, how is it that I do what I do very well? You know, how do I create clarity? Interesting. So gradually you know, learning more about what are the processes, how do I do it? And this this book, The Power of Clarity, is really the culmination of all of that. And my goal at this point is really to, first of all, convince people that clarity needs to be a huge priority because there is so much opportunity there. And second, how do you see that opportunity? And third, how do you create clarity so you take advantage of that opportunity? I so love that's that. what the book does. And that's what I'm dedicated to at this point. Perfect. I want to go through those three items in just a moment. Um, just a, a fun fact for those that um, are interested um, in, in some work. And research that Anne has done, according to a Fortune 500 study, as much as 80% of working time is lost to tiresome meetings, unclear expectations, difficult decisions, and other wasteful delays. Overcoming the lack of clarity behind this waste on both an individual and organizational basis would reap huge rewards. I'm sure you've seen this with your customers, and that is what has driven your thought process here. 
Uh, absolutely. And and I also saw it as an employee. <laughs> right. You've lived it. You were on both it. sides. That's right. <laughs> I, I suffered it as an employee. And I remember years ago, people saying that, well, people only work two hours a day. And way back as a software engineer, I said, well, you know, those are the people who are hanging out at the water cooler, wasting time. And then as I worked my way up in the ranks and all, I realized, no, 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 they're not. They're trying to be effective more than sure. two hours a day. But the number of obstacles that caused by the lack of clarity was the problem that was preventing them. Wow. So I saw it in every client I ever had. Uh, I don't know any organization that couldn't benefit from huge improvements in clarity. Love that. Um, I, I, and I think everyone listening is going, yeah, and they're thinking of an example, right? You know, some way, form or fashion where there's unclear XYZ or fill in the blank in the organization. Uh, you laid out three primary uh, areas for this book. We've had other authors on and I always love to think and, and hear about how you structured the book and then the approach and then the, the methodology and the, the takeaways. Um, let's talk about the three sections and then um, let's dive into a couple of them. Okay, so, well, the first chapter is we aren't as clear as we think we are. And you really have to understand that we aren't very clear. And you have to see that lack of clarity. Because if you can't see a problem, you can never fix it. You can't do anything about it. No doubt. So it's, so under, it's kind of self-awareness or kind of current state awareness. Right. And you, you and the way you, you title it is we aren't as clear as we think. And it's costly. And I, I love, exactly. by the way, when you guys read this book... What's really cool about it, and we've all read lots of books, right? Um, I mean, is you and, and I think you do a great job of this, making it portable. So like the the sections that you write about are two or three pages. They're not, you know, orations. It's like very portable things to think about. And one of the cool things I thought was really cool in this first part of the book was you talk about treadmill verbs. Share with our audience what that means. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, you've all been on a treadmill, and when you get on a treadmill, you can go forever, right? Well, some of the most common words that we use in the business world are what I call treadmill verbs because you can do them forever. So for instance, <laughs> there are words like review and report, share, communicate, update. I mean, these are the words we use all the time and they are the words that are on our agendas. But when you think about it, you can review forever. There's no way to know when you're done and you can report forever. There's no way to know when you're done. You can share forever. So when you use a treadmill verb and ask someone to report or to inform or to communicate, you are giving them an open invitation to talk forever without any way of knowing what will mean that they're done. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah. And for, the, for this part of the book, is called Reality Check. It's really kind of understanding clarity, where it is, where it isn't in your life and in the organization. How do you step back and kind of assess like when you're working with leaders or organizations like how do you help people to understand where there's a lack of clarity uh well they first have to you know the same way a reader of the book does i guess you read that first chapter and you start going oh my god this is happening all around us and you start identifying you start recognizing those things and you also realize that these aren't the kinds of examples that other people are talking about when they talk about clarity these are things that that are I think are real eye openers, like the you know asking someone, can you please review this document? And when you ask someone to review something, uh, I do an exercise sometimes in groups, and I ask them to brainstorm the number of different topics that could come up in a project review. 
and you know, you can get to 67 or something pretty fast. <laughs> so when you Easy. ask someone to please review, are you asking them to look for grammar and spelling and punctuation or credibility or logic or thoroughness or accuracy or flow or uh, getting legal you know, ap- aspects of it? I mean, there are any number of things you're asking for, but review is a treadmill verb and someone can go in there. And they can wander through all those areas. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's incredibly inefficient to ask someone to review something. Wow. But we do it all the time. Right. And you don't even think about it. Um, yeah. I love that. Uh, so uh, then you get into, and I, I was going to jump into the section, section um, but before I get to that, I want to I want to talk about one other area here. And that is this whole idea of cruising. And so you call it the chapter cruising with confidence. And there's a couple of interesting points in it around outcomes versus activity, which I see a lot. People talk about activity and outcomes, but give us that kind of summary of what you mean by cruising here and, and how it plays out in, in, in the whole idea of clarity. Right. And it really gets into, well, what is clarity anyway? And, and I'd like to point out that the word clarity, by the way, could not be more unclear because we, <laughs> we don't know what it means. We have more words to talk about the temperature of soup then we have shared vocabulary to talk about <laughs> levels of clarity. So we just talked about things being a little unclear, a little confusing. So anyway, what is clarity? Clarity is knowing exactly what you're trying to accomplish, how, how well, with whom, and with the focus you need to, to concentrate and, and get it done. So when you think about the times when you are very clear, it's when you have those things, you know exactly what you're trying to accomplish. You know how you're going to do it. You, you know who you need to work with. And it's you get in the groove and you cruise and you can just fly because you know exactly what to do. You're confident, you're strong, you're determined. It's, it's cruising with confidence and no it doubt. feels great. And one that. of the reasons I talk about it in right off in the beginning of the book is because I want people to think about that feeling, what it's like when they get that feeling, when they're ultra productive and they're they're just you know flying. And the situations that lead to that, because those are the ones that um, you want to you want to replicate. You want to understand when that occurs when it doesn't occur and how to how to create it i love that we even got like the bell saying that what an important point this was <laughs> i love it all right part two of your book is now about crushing disclarity so we understand there's clarity or lack of clarity kind of get it you know and I'm, I'm i'm noticing there's a problem you know i've got a problem statement built up how are we going to crush disclarity you have some great advice here talk about your approach um as you write well, the first one, the first requirement for clarity is far greater specificity. And we talked about, you know, asking someone to please review. Please review for what? Get specific. Uh, you know, communicate. Communicate what? Well, get specific. What do you actually need? And we don't want to talk, you know, you mentioned before, but the difference between activity and um outcomes. But what specific outcome do you need? And at any given moment, and and I don't care whether you're talking about the next 15 minutes, the next hour, the next week, what specific outcomes will move you forward? And we don't do that. I love that. I love that. Um, And I mean, you have so many like things, by the way, in these chapters, I I could spend two hours on. Um, One of the things I liked that an idea that you had here, I've, I've heard something like before, 
and I saw it and I was like, yes, this is like, this is so true. And I'm really bad at it. Um, and you talk about true priorities equal few priorities. And I've also heard this stated before as doing less to do more. And I'm not good at that. Personally, I, I'm, not, I'm the one that says yes a lot or think everything's a priority. You know what I mean? Then I have to really narrow my focus. I'm going to force myself to get there. But this is something you really talk about in terms of the whole crushing disc- disclarity idea. Yeah. Well, you know, priority comes from a Latin word that didn't have a plural form. There was no plural form for priority until about the 1950s. And whoever made it plural ought to be shot. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> right. That's pretty crazy. Now we have so many priorities, we don't have any priorities. Priority is supposed to be, you know, the pinnacle, the top, the, the most important things. thing. Hey, is, have you found a good mechanism for that? You know, have you found have personally or with customers yeah. or clients, like... How do you like? How do you prioritize? In other words, how do you in that then bring clarity? Yeah, well, there's there's as you know tons of little tricks about you know urgent versus important and um, different ways you can rate things and try to establish priorities and whatever you know whatever works for you is fine. But I'll tell you one thing is that when you have too much to do, there are only five effective ways to deal with that situation. But most people choose number six, the only ineffective way to deal with too much to do. So let me tell you what the five are. Please. Oh, good. I can't number wait. One, number one is abandon. You can abandon something and not do it at all. I get that. Okay. Number, number two, two is to postpone something. Yeah, put it off. Yep. It has to be postponed. Number three is cut corners. And that's not cut corners in a bad way. That's realizing that not everything has to be done perfectly. Sometimes 80% or even 60% is good enough. Number four is delegate or outsource. So that should be to pretty somebody obvious. Else. Yep. Okay. Got it. Number five is find a new, faster method. This isn't about oh, working harder. Interesting. So it innovate. really is about working smarter. You smarter. need a new method that'll accomplish more faster. Got it. So those are the only five effective ways to deal with too much to do. Number what's six, six, not choosing one of the five. <laughs> got it. Also That's known really nice. as wishful thinking. And this is the one most people do. They think, okay, I'll, you know, I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to plug away. So my most successful clients have those five effective ways of dealing with overload on the walls of their conference rooms. And the boss points to it and says, decide, what are you going to abandon, postpone, cut, delegate, or find a new method for? I love that. That's that's a good one. And you have to decide. That's really cool. I like that. Um, and that leads into part three, which is, it's not your fault if you're not good at these things, or it's not your fault if it doesn't work for you, or it's not your fault if you, I will read here, like to talk, if you generalize, you use the wrong language, you make too many assumptions, you kind of just naturally, you've tried it and it didn't work. Like Part of it is self-realization that, hey, it's okay that you've tried this before, right? Yeah. And, and the deal really is it, it, it isn't your fault because no one's, we don't even have a good definition for the word clarity. We don't have a way to talk about it. We don't have the right vocabulary. Um, we just haven't learned. And one of the fundamental problems is, is that the vast majority of our process improvement efforts have all been in the realm of physical processes that move physical objects. And you can, you know, like your assembly line or moving your orders through your business or uh, 
whatever, it's physical stuff. You can see them, you can see the bottlenecks, you can see the problems, they're easy to measure. But there's no emphasis on the cognitive processes. And 80% of, of employees maybe, well, I don't know if there's a number for that, but a lot of employees, knowledge workers, executives, managers, and a lot of people who are not on the production line, their jobs consist of moving cognitive objects. They have to move ideas and decisions and plans. And we don't even think in terms of processes when we talk about moving decisions. Got it. Wow. Um, so important. I mean, and anybody, again, this is, this is the startup and it's the big company. Um, let's land the plane part four here. Um, the incredible power clarity, which really is, what do I do about it? How do I life application? What do I, what do I need to do? And you list out seven things that the reader can do to help resolve the, I'll call it the clarity conundrum. That's my word for it. I don't know. You know, no, I like crimes, you know. But um, talk about those seven things um, so that we can give our, our listeners something to take away and go do. Right. So the first one is to make clarity a priority. It's, you know, clarity's like mom and apple pie. Everyone says, oh, that's nice, but they don't ever do anything about it. And I think after reading The Power of Clarity, most people will realize that, oh, my God, we really should do something about this. So <laughs> making it. clarity a priority is number one. Number two you have to increase awareness of the disclarity. And there's a new word I created, disclarity. Like That's that. the yeah, opposite end of the that. spectrum. <laughs> yeah, the opposite end of the spectrum from uncommon clarity. So we can add some, put some dimension to this whole thing. So, you know, looking at the examples in this book, you start to understand how much disclarity there is and how bad it is and how much opportunity it is on the flip side. So helping people see that, whether it's just realizing that a treadmill verb really is an open invitation to talk. I mean, you start becoming aware of that and you take that out of your vocabulary and replace it with destination verbs, you can make a lot of progress. So number three is to be patient with the people, not the problem. We've never been taught how to make decisions. We've never been taught how to move ideas. We've never been taught about treadmill verbs that you couldn't have because I dreamed it up. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, until I read your book, right? <laughs> That's right. So we have to be patient. And there's a lot of talking in this book about how you bring people along and, and, and collaborate and, and do that well. Um, number four is we mentioned earlier is to be, be specific. specific. I love that one. Very love it. specific because yep. we aren't. We're very vague. <laughs> right. And people um, like specifics. Meet me tomorrow at 3 p.m. At, at, at this restaurant, if that works for you. Instead of, hey, when can we grab lunch? I know it's not the same thing, but right? Clarity around when we're yeah, going to meet. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And and number five is, is attend to process clarity, which is just pay attention to process. When you think about it, a good process is specificity over time. It's being specific in a sequence, you know? So it's extending that specificity through a process to get things done. But what happens is we don't pay enough attention to process. We tend to dive in and just start talking. And I, I talk about kitchen sink conversations. <laughs> right. I talk about starting meetings before we've decided what must be different when we're done. We just tend to dive in. So what's our process? Not only specifically where are we going, but how are we going to get there? Love it. Number six is to increase focus. And this is where you use your five overload options and yep. say, we need to cut it down to a couple of things at a time 
you know, you can only, your brain can only work on one thing at a time effectively, right. but you can have a couple things in the wings, but you need to focus. <laughs> right? It's like, do the podcast interview. Do not look at email, text, phone, listen exactly. to the ringing. Like it's one thing. Focus, Justin. <laughs> I love yeah. it. All right. And number yeah, seven. About, no, go ahead. Okay. Number, number seven is create clarity in the moment. And clarity in the moment is where I'm saying, you know, yes, you know, strategically you need big picture clarity, but big things are accomplished by doing a lot of little things. So you literally need clarity. What am I trying to accomplish right now? How am I going to get there? How well? With whom? How am I going to focus? And I don't care whether you're talking about the next 15 minutes or the next hour by the end of this meeting or by lunchtime. What concrete thing am I going to walk away with that I don't have going in? Because that. that constitutes progress. I love that. Wow. Um, you know, great. I, so wonderful content. Great topic. I mean, uh, we were talking before we hit record about, you know, other colleagues in common and topics in this space. And I don't think anyone that I've ever met has tackled this. And it's such an interesting one that can really help any individual be a better leader, follower, contributor, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's great content. I love how you also provide the, the application at the end. Um, super, really very relevant. I can't wait to see also not only what you're at five star reviews already, um, just in the last couple of months I saw on Amazon. So, um, but before we go, and as you're thinking about our audience and you've offered um, amazing content, amazing takeaways, kind of walk through the book. But if there's one or two things you would recommend as pieces of advice from the customers you've worked with, you know, to our listeners, what would those one or two pieces of advice be either on launching a business, writing the book on clarity? What, what, what would be two like summed up ideas you'd share? Wow. Well, be very specific about what you're trying to accomplish and how you're going to get there. And I love that you mentioned writing a book because you know what I did in, in writing this book? I hadn't written a book before, and I had to keep tuning back into what is my process? How am I doing this? And I found that the this, you know, I, I did the outline at first and I modified it and I played around with it and I wrote a bunch of stories and I I had to keep working on what's the process that's gonna work here. And the th one thing I latched onto, if you've got any writers out there, is for each chapter, I asked the famous question, and I think I've mentioned several times already, that when my readers finish reading this chapter, what is going to be different when they're done? How do I want them to react? So for instance, with chapter one, I want them to re react by saying, oh my God, she's right. We really <laughs> do this. And it really is in a, you know unclear and costly. And so by being, and, and then when you break it down into the sections within the chapters, you can do the same thing. What's going to be different at the end of this section? So it's the exact same thing of what's going to be different at the end of this week? What's going to be different at the end of this meeting? What concrete, tangible, specific thing will I have that I didn't have to start with? And that prevents you from wandering in, which is a term I use a lot in there, getting in kitchen sink conversations floating around with ideas and not sitting down and figuring out what specifically do I need. And one thing we didn't we didn't talk about yet is that there are six destination verbs that really constitute real progress. So for instance, decide. When you make a decision, you're done and you have something tangible, concrete that unleashes the next step. 
Number two is a plan. When you have a plan, you're ready to move. So you you know you're done. You have a plan. Now we got to be one caveat here. Some people turn planning into a treadmill verb. So <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> so number three is is resolve. Resolve the problem. When you have a problem solution, a resolution, you're done. You know you're done and you've got something concrete that moves you forward. Number four is a list. A list is really an input to the other three, three things I've already mentioned. When you make a decision, you need a list of alternatives. It's a list. You might not sit down and do an entire decision, but let me list the alternatives. The next step would be to list risks. So a list is a concrete thing. You make a list, you know you're done when you finish the list. You're not just talking about <laughs> ideas and floating around and thinking about decisions. Number five is confirm. So this is usually happens when someone says, you know, I've done this so far and I'm going to do this next. Am I on the right track? What they want is a yes or no. They want confirmation. When they get that yes or no, they're done. If it's a yes, they move on. If it's a no, they need to ask more questions. Unfortunately, when people say, well, I've done this and I'm going to do this next, everyone dives in because they like to talk and they like to be helpful and they like to give advice and they throw all this advice at them. It's like, no, I just want a yes or no. <laughs> and number six is, is authorize. If you authorize something you're, or approve something, you're giving permission for someone to implement, to move on. So those six destination verbs if you're always working towards one of those, a decision, a plan, a resolution, a list, confirmation, or authorization, you're golden because you're making real progress. No doubt. I love that. That's that's great. I love the advice. I mean, like, there's so much here. Like, and not every book that's like that. Um, and I, it's it's super helpful. I'd love to have you back on down the road too to share some other stories with us, especially as you're rolling this out and speak doing speaking engagements and getting feedback from from um, customers and and um, and and buyers of your book and and readers and folks that are applying it. This is super helpful. Um, all right, Anne, so great having you here today. Share with our audience where they can find you, connect with you buy the book, get you to come talk to their group, all of that. Okay. The book is called The Power of Clarity, Unleash the True Potential of Workplace Productivity, Confidence, and Empowerment. It is available on Amazon and of course, bookstores everywhere. It's published by Bloomsbury. It's a new book. It's out there. Um, my website is annlatham.com. If you go there, you can get my contact information. You can read it. You can get access to more information about this book and my previous books. Uh, and the things that I do to help my clients. Yeah. Also, I, before we even hit record, and I was loving learning about you. She has like a, you can't see this because we don't do video, but she has a cool like Kanban board like behind her and like her ideas, you know, she stacked them so that you can organize them in a good way. She's very process oriented. Just another thing to think about as you're thinking about writing a book. But and so great having you here with us today. Um, have, can't wait to have you back on. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Justin. It's been a lot of fun. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contendercast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you 
that every winner started as a contender.